What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. Gotta let it go. So Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate. Rewind and rewatch three covering Open the Freedom Gate, Dragon Gate USA's third show that was on November 28th, 2009. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own podcast feed on all the podcast apps and platforms available. I am one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm joined, as always, by Case Lowe. Case, how's it going? Mike Spears, per usual, I'm happy to be here. Uh, we are covering the third show in the Drangate USA history. These shows are still incredible. These shows are still so much fun to watch. And I am so happy that we get to continue talking about our main man, the one-man wolf pack, the American wolf, Davey Richards. The American heir to Kenta, Davey Richards. Is that, hold on, was that how he was described? Because that oh, he, is... he, was his, he was Kenta's American protege. That's right, because yeah, because there's that one. I think it's what Kenta and Davy versus Aries and Roddy in a match right. that I actually don't think is that good, but it's one of the rare Kenta misses in America. Whatever. The fact is, Davy Richards is here. Davy Richards is not playing around. He has a singles match on this show, and oh, it is just delightful. You know, it is something that I think if we were going to do awards for Dragon Gate USA 2009. Davey Richards might be the MVP of 2009 in Dragon Gate USA for two matches. Oh, yeah. No, he's, I mean, to me, he's like Steph Curry in 15-16. He's a unanimous MVP. Uh, mm-hmm. The Young Bucks have been good, but not as good as him. Shingo's been good, but not as good as him. And really, we're not being ironic. There's uh, something genuinely enjoyable about watching Davey Richards on these shows because it's such a vast contradiction to the current 
independent landscape. And it's quite honestly refreshing to watch him uh, do what he does, to put it lightly. But before we get into another incredible Davy Richards uh, performance, we need to catch everyone up on what happened since Open the Untouchable Gate in uh, September 2009. And in case you have kind of a outline of big events you want to touch on before we hit to the show review. So exiting Untouchable Gate, which happened on September 6th, our first news and notes comes from the Pro Wrestling Torch on on uh, September 12th, where we get an update from Jim Ross, who was in attendance at the Untouchable Gate show. It was him and Jerry Lawler signing autographs. Uh, WWE announcer Jim Ross says that he loved the Dragon Gate USA show in Chicago on Sunday. He added that he sees a lot of Ultimo Dragon and how the Dragon Gate wrestlers from Japan work in the ring. Quote, the fans and attendance were awesome. Their passion was infectious. Bravo to them. The talents worked so hard in the ring. Their style is uniquely fast and athletic. Lots of the great Ultimo Dragon stylings, which was expected and exciting in quotes. Now, Case, do you think that he ever put two and two together or Gabe kind of was like, oh yeah, these are Ultimo students? I don't even think that happened. I think JR saw Japanese guys doing flips and he said, by God, that's Ultimo Dragon. <laughs> Such a remarkable thing, especially considering that this is 2009, five years after the Ultima split. And it's just kind of a wild kind of comment he had there. And I'm surprised with how he is now in 2020. He was so positive about everything then. I well, I, whether I believe him or not is a separate story. But he at least <laughs> put on a positive uh, a blog post so to sell the Drangate USA brand even more. Which, quite honestly, in 2009, you think about it, you have Dave Meltzer saying that's great. You have both uh, the Torch and PWI Insider saying it's great, and you have Jim Ross saying that's great. Those are really strong seals of approval for the company in the early days. Yeah, especially considering. The, at this era, we're talking about the real nascent uh, social media presence. Like, I think there was a YouTube channel immediately, but it was not really... YouTube wasn't necessarily the big thing. It was in 2009. And uh, just, like, getting, like, these stamps of approval were such a big thing. Like, really, at, the, at this time, you had those three sources. You had places like Declaration of Independence, which we'll be talking about a lot more on the next episode. But yeah, it was such like a big thing. And I think this was like one of JR's like first big things outside of the WWE kind of uh, auspices, for lack of better words. So him being there was another stamp, big stamp of approval in my mind. On October 14th in Japan, Drangate once again headed to Cork and Hall with a main event of the Triangle Gate Championship match between BB Hulk, Masato Yoshino, and Pac. They defended and retained the belts against the team of Don Fuji, Masaki Mochizuki, and Aki Bono. Yeah, Aki Bono. In 2009, that that was a big thing. Uh, Zetterans was kind of that, that trio where it was Mochi Fuji, and they were getting someone in. For a while, it was Kishiwada, and then it became Aki Bono. I remember him having like this huge extension for the Triangle Gate belt, because there's no way it was going to fit around his waist. On October 18th, TNA Wrestling holds their biggest show of the year, Bound for Glory, and Drangit USA and ex-WWE superstar Brian Kendrick is spotted backstage. There is no word on the time as to whether or not he will wrestle for the company. So, this is a thing where you probably are better at this than I am. I know Kendrick ended up for a good period of time in TNA. Like, Did this lead to that then? Yeah, it's, it's coming sooner rather than later. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Yes, a bit of an ominous preview there. On 
October 30th, Drangate sets sail, and they head to Europe for a trio of shows, starting with Open the Spanish Gate on October 30th, featuring the Young Bucks versus Shingo and Dragon Kid, and a main event of BB Hulk, Masato Yoshino, and Naruki Doi versus Shima, Kagatora, and Susumu Yokozuka. They follow up the next night in Germany with Open the German Gate, a partnered show with WXW, where we see a fatal four-way match between Dragon Kid, El Generico, Susumu Yokozuka, and Masato Yoshino, a singles match between Mike Quackenbush and Shima, and a WXW title match between Absolute Andy and Shingo Takagi before Drangate finally invades the UK for the first Drangate UK show, The European Invasion, which features yet another Dragon Kid versus Masato Yoshino singles match where Dragon Kid wins, Susumu Yokozuka versus Shingo Takagi in the first of their epic trilogy, and a main event of Hulk Doi and Pac versus Shima and the Young Bucks. And that match, that main event on the first Dragon Gate UK show, I know is available on the internet if you Google it. Yeah, so this was a big... I remember this very distinctly because this was around the time that El Generico was a big figure in Dragon Gate for a while. And that's something that I think people have forgotten over the years. And he also was pretty big figure in WXW. And remember, like, the, these... This series of shows, especially the DGUK show, being like really well thought of. And then I have a note from the Observer from the uh, WXW show that apparently at that time, of course, it's far surpassed it. But at that time, that was the highest attended show in WXW history in 2009. So I thought that was kind of remarkable. And DGUK, if it gets to a point where we really are going to get into doing a lot of these things, DGUK is definitely one worth going to because I know there's a lot of interesting lore there we'll definitely have to get our friend alan forrell on the show talking about those because definitely like hulk just like the young bucks and shima like just how history kind of repeats itself in a lot of ways or it doesn't repeat itself it kind of is reflective like them being in this match also with pack just makes so much sense I have not seen the Open the Spanish Gate show, but I would like to track that down to see the Young Bucks versus Shingo and Dragon Kid. I have not seen the Open the German Gate show, but I have seen the DGUK show, and it is a delightful watch. It is, you know, we talk all the time on the show about how hard it is to track down DGUK footage, but most of that show, if not all of that show, is available online if you know where to look. Um, so that is Dragon Gate continuing their expansion outside of Japan on November 6th. The Untouchable pay-per-view airs that features Davey Richards versus Shingo Takagi, Brian Danielson versus Naruki Doi, among others. That is the show we reviewed on the prior episode. On November 7th, Drangate USA announces they will be hosting WrestleMania weekend in Phoenix at the Celebrity Theater. And Mike, do you know the first talents that are announced for Drangate USA's WrestleMania first WrestleMania weekend? This should tell you how bad my memory is with these sort of things. I want to say, was were the Lucha guys announced first? No, I, I am asking you first, uh, once again, an ominous look into the future. Okay. The first talents announced for the Drangate USA WrestleMania weekend shows in 2010 are Davey Richards and the Young Bucks. Yep, we will be getting... When we, when we hit episode five, we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about before we start reviewing those shows, Case. Yes, if that doesn't mean anything to you now, it will in the coming weeks. Just, just no file that away in your head. Yes. On November 13th, the Ring of Honor host Aries versus Richards, one of the, uh, I guess at the time, one of the more hyped DVD shows of the Adam Pierce slash HD Net era. That is an excellent match that holds up quite well. Um, and then on, uh, in the November 16th, 
Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Gabe Sapolsky announces the start of a new promotion called Evolve, with more details to come over the following weeks. Sapolsky partners with Sal, uh, Sal from... WWN Live yeah, and Sal, Davey Sal Richard. Hamel, Thank you. I was so not sure of how to pronounce that last name. Thank you for covering me there. Sapolsky is partnering with Sal as well as Davey Richards. Uh, the impression is that initially they'll be running on an infrequent basis, similar to the Drangate USA model. Uh, of course, it is considered to be a more shoot style promotion at first. There's all sorts of things about Brian Danielson wanting to train the roster and his style of wrestling, but then Danielson ended up signing with WWE. We will not be talking a ton about evolve on this podcast until the merger happens. And then Drangate USA Cannon bleeds over a little bit, but it should be noted that Sapolsky is now dipping his toes into a second promotion at this time. Yeah. And there's going to be a couple times in this episode and going forward that I think we kind of find a track. I don't want to call them like cardinal sins, but these are like the shaky kind of things that they had a really strong first few months. And then there were warning signs with, with Dragon Gate USA in my mind. And I think one of them has to be considered only after your second show announcing a second promotion. So file that yep. in your mind. That's number one. It is certainly... I would say not ideal to be booking two high profile wrestling companies at the same time, but we are not Gabe Sapolsky. Uh, and you know, thank God for that <laughs> on November 20th and 21st pro wrestling gorilla hosts the battle of Los Angeles tournament that features talent such as Brian Kendrick, such as the young buck, such as El Generico and in the finals, Kenny Omega defeats Roderick Strong. I just wanted to mention that because that's a really good match. Um, and then on November 23rd in Japan, Gate of Destiny takes place. It features BB Hulk challenging Naruki Doi for the Open the Dream Gate title. Doi retains in what I remember being a very entertaining match. And that leads us to November 28th, 2009, Open the Freedom Gate from the arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So big things about to know in mind here. Attendance was estimated at 550 and big drop off from the 800 they had in the initial show which actually what their expectations were in the 500 range so this was still kind of in that spot that if you remember from the first few episodes we said the big thing was like getting the 500 and how they were going to establish a balance of ticket prices being okay attendance being fine the pay-per-views because they're still going to be on g-funk for the next uh i think the first deal was six shows so they still had a while on this. And then also DVD sales, which as it becomes a really big thing that they really wanted to, to push the DVD sales because the DVDs at this time were the entire show, including the bonus matches, because they only had a two and a half hour pay-per-view window. But 550 for the show, it was noted that there was a huge car wreck going into Philadelphia from New York and that disrupted some of the show. Originally, it was supposed to be Jigsaw in the six-man opening match and... From there, like a big thing that Gabe Sapolsky said from The Observer, Sapolsky said the crowd was a lot of the 2002 and 2004 fan base that no longer goes to promotion shows, and it's small audiences willing to spend money on DVDs. He said he was worried about two weeks before the show, but is now pretty happy with how things turned out. So things are still in projections. There still is a very stiff drop in attendance, but it's something to keep in mind before we get into the show itself in case... This is easily the weakest show of the first three shows and their weakest show in 2009. But overall, what were your thoughts? So it's funny you, you call it the weakest because I, I guess when you phrase it like that, it is. But 
it's not a bad show. There's actually stuff on this show that I was delightfully surprised by that I did not remember it being as good as it was. There's stuff on this show that delivers to the caliber that I was hoping it delivered. And there's one match on this show that I will say right now, up to this point, is the best match in Dragon Gate USA history. Yes, I have um, the first match on this show that, or in DG history, DG USA history that, no, I had one other match that was four and, half, four and three quarters. There was another four and three quarter star match for me in this show. But it, it was an interesting show. It did not have, like, Ken Doan and Too Cold Scorpio seem to be out of the promotion already, thank God. But it does seem like that there's a lot of events on the show that you could already see, really, that Gabe was now figuring out who his Western stars were going to be. And really, and specifically, Brian Kendrick is a big part of the show. Of course, he was on the Untouchable Gate, and that kind of happened. We see the big debut, John Moxley, and that is a big moment in the promotion's history. Davey Richards and Grant Akuma, those four kind of are like the four big American stars, at least that's how I feel like Gabe was portraying them leaving 2009. Do you think I'm off base in saying that? I, I think those guys in the Young Bucks are mm-hmm. also worth mentioning. True, yeah, Young Bucks. Why did I forget the Young Bucks? That's Yeah. Well, let's talk about those dark matches real quick. So there's two of them on this show. There's no opening match fray, so Gabe is slowly abandoning that project already. But there's two singles matches. There's a singles match between Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole. It's a six-minute match that is on the DGUSA YouTube channel. It's one of their first uploads. And it's not a spectacular match. Um, At this point, Adam Cole is being used frequently in CZW. He's starting to gain a little bit of a reputation in that promotion. In 2009, Kyle O'Reilly is working HDNet dark matches, and he's pretty much going wherever else Davey Richards is going. It's easy to forget now the guy that has had so much success in NXT as a partner with Bobby Fish that Kyle O'Reilly for a long time was the Davey Richards lackey. He was the third guy in the group between Davey, Wheelman, Tony Kozina, and then there was this young kid, Kyle O'Reilly, and it's... Just very strange to look at these two guys now, guys that have been linked for their entire careers, Colin O'Reilly, having a dark match on a DGUSA show. It feels ancient watching it. Cole is wearing long red tights that he would soon ditch. Thank um, God. It's, you know, Cole in long pants never totally looked right. O'Reilly, and he is a child at this point, but he looks so young. He's so inexperienced at this point, but you can tell there is skill there. It is a really fun match that I think if you're going to watch this show, give that match a look because it's on YouTube. It's free. It's just fun to look at where those two guys have gone ever since. Yeah. And the thing that when watching this match, I think that you could definitely watching this match. I feel like that Kyle O'Reilly in 2020, other than like getting older, getting wiser, he's still kind of like fully realized. I feel like at this point, like you won't see too much of a difference between 2020 and 2009 there adam cole however he was the guy that like is apocryphal now but he was the guy that we turned down because they thought he looked too much like a baby and he looked like a man those those were the exact words that were said and he looks so desperately diff- different and it's just uh it's funny there was a line that uh lenny leonard said that i wrote down that says i don't know if these guys know each other and now you think about their history over the last 11 years I think probably, was it by the end of 2010 that they were Future Shock already in Ring of Honor? Yeah, they become Future Shock about halfway through that year because Final Battle 2010, they wrestle the All Night Express in the opener. And that, I mean, Final Battle 2010 has Davey versus Roddy. It has Steen versus Generico. It's an all-time great Ring of Honor show. 
And one of the keystones of that show was this opening match between Future Shock and ANX. That is a real coming out party for Future Shock. And then from there, they transitioned. They have a big WrestleMania weekend that year in 2011, uh, because that's when Ring of Honor ran center stage. And I believe they wrestled both the Kings of Wrestling and the Briscoes that weekend. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's the way it lines up. And then at that point, you're talking about Future Shock and PWG, and then their careers really take off from there. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of a remarkable match, and that one is, again, available on YouTube. The other match is more interesting about the first person that they have here and someone that became a big part of the show. So it was John Moxley versus B-Boy. John Moxley got the pin, and we'll be talking more about John Moxley as we get into the show itself. Let's. I, I want to talk about Moxley here sure. real quick. Because I've got a passage, and I believe this was published right around the time that The Shield debuted in the WWE. But there is a Gabe Sapolsky blog where he essentially says, you know, he was starting up Evolve in January of 2010. He went down to Florida with Sal, who runs the Jeff Peterson Memorial Cup, and Gabe was scouting for talent as almost an unofficial Evolve tryout that year. And he had heard a lot of buzz around Moxley. If you listen to Gabe's interviews, By the end of his time in Ring of Honor, he really wasn't watching independent wrestling. He was really only tuned into the guys that were in his company. And it wasn't until he left that he discovered that there was this plethora of talent out there. It's actually King of Trios 2009 that really, like, you know, was a shock to Sapolsky. Where it's like, oh my God, there's there's so much out here. There's so many different guys we can use. And Moxley was somebody that he had not seen work, but he had heard a lot about. So Moxley was booked for the Jeff Peterson Memorial Cup in 2009, and when he got there, Sapolsky said uh, to Mox, come on, let's cut a promo. Uh, they screwed into a janitor's closet, and Moxley cut, as Sapolsky describes, an amazing, unique, and distinctive promo that floored me, and when he was done, my gut instincts were screaming, put this guy in something now. I didn't care if he could wrestle. His charisma, poise, and presence was a one in a million. The only other time I was sold on a talent before seeing how well he could wrestle was CM Punk, who dazzled me by showing a command of the audience during a simple ring entrance. Fortunately, both Punk and, he says Ambrose, both Punk and Moxley are equally great talents in the ring. As soon as the camera stopped rolling, I I eagerly asked Moxley if he could be in Philadelphia the next week for Dragon Gate USA. Keep in mind, we had had the card completely booked up. All the storylines were written, and we had exhausted our budget. However, Moxley was so special that we had to start him as soon as possible. Yeah, and interesting thing about that time, Moxley was mainly in CZW and Ian Rotten promotions. He was, I think, him and Sammy Callahan, because they were... They both kind of came up in the same scene. They kind of were attached to each other for a long time. I think, yeah, they're they're both Ohio guys who were right. wrestling for Heartland as well, the Les Thatcher promotion. And then at this point, I don't know if they were teaming a Switchblade conspiracy or not. They were, but okay, yeah. So Mox has a name in CZW, and and we see it on this show. I mean, first of all, that passage there, reading that, it makes mox's use on this show much more clear as to sapolsky was uh, just so floored by this guy that he really shoehorned him into current angles and then later on in the show and not to get ahead of ourselves but we do have uh, i had not watched a john moxley pre wwe promo in a long time and seeing one on this show i was like Oh, that's right. Like people used to lose their minds over these and rightfully so, because he really is a once in a generation level talker. Yeah. And I think something that as we go on this series, I'll have to see how much is still up on that YouTube channel, because there are some really great John Moxley promos that are worth checking out for people. But yeah, 
I, I was actually at that King of Trios in 2009. That was like, that was my idea of what would be a fun spring break in my last year of undergrad. So Hell yeah, brother. That's what I'm talking about. So I saved up, my, saved up a long time to, to get up there and I saw that. And it really was kind of a remarkable card. Now looking back at it, who all were there and definitely put me, when, when rewatching the show, like remembering where I was in the arena that night or that weekend especially like for a couple of the spots where so this was pretty much like a very wild show in a lot of ways and like people going out into the crowd and flying into the crowd i remember like lince dorado at king of trios 2009 fall, jumping like landing in the crowd like 10 seats away from me so there was <laughs> definitely a lot of that but yeah no john moxley is going to be a very important person in this promotion and especially when we get into 2010 and 2011 he really kind of like we mentioned those four singles wrestlers in the Young Bucks at the beginning of the show, and I think it's something that, at least as a listener, and if you're someone who's following along, keep an eye on these people and see what really changes over time, because I feel like that that's one of those things. I wouldn't call it a sin of Gabe Sapolsky here, but it's definitely one of those things that definitely changes a whole lot over the run of Dragon Gate USA. Absolutely. I'm ready to get into the bulk of this card if you are. Yeah, and it's funny we're talking about like people to watch for, because in the opening match we have the actual pay-per-view debut of John Johnny Gargano as he is in the six way qualifier for the main event. Of course we, we broke down on the last show. This was a very much a Gabe tournament. I don't think this is a sin of Gabe. This is just who Gabe is as a person. He called this one generation now, and this was a six way one fall match. Grand Akuma, Hallow Wicked replacing Jigsaw, who was caught up in traffic, Johnny Gargano, Lindsay Dorado, and the young bucks as singles wrestlers. It was Grand Akuma winning in about 10 minutes after getting like a flash pen. So I finally figured out what this match was as the match was ending. And that is that it was essentially the NBA lottery of wrestling matches. Gabe had a list of guys, a group of guys that he knew had potential in some way, shape or form. And he was attempting to capture lightning in a bottle with at least one of them. And it's interesting that Hollow Wicked is the replacement in this match because Hollow Wicked was also the replacement in the Chikara eight man on the first show because right. one of the Osirian portal, I don't remember which one, but was injured. So Hollow Wicked becomes a baby face on the heel team. It created a really interesting dynamic for that match. But now you've got six guys here in Akuma, Hollow Wicked, Gargano, Dorado, and the Young Bucks that we all know have potential. Some of them have worked out better than others. I find it very interesting when you look at the names on this list, this is built up as the future of the company. Who could be the Western star that takes the ball and runs with it? And not to get ahead of myself, but it's worth noting that much like an NBA lottery, this didn't entirely work out. You have a guy like Hollow Wicked who never wrestles for the company again after July of 2010. Gran Akuma, who was pushed so hard out of the gates, and I have enjoyed every Gran Akuma appearance up until this point, and including this match. Yeah. Akuma is out of the company by September 2010. Lince Dorado was gone by July of 2010, but returns in 2011, 2012, and 2014 for WrestleMania weekend shows because he's in the area. The Young Bucks will get into them. They have a <laughs> long history. And Johnny Gargano, who doesn't win this match, ends up becoming Mr. Dragon Gate USA, but we have tons of shows before we get to that. I will say I enjoyed this match way more than I was expecting. 
this was this was a lot of fun this is like like when you call it like the lottery this is basically like the combine you like see all these guys and everyone kind of had their big moments i think it's interesting that out of these people like you talk about like this is the lottery let's see who pans out to me the person that and i know how young johnny gargano was here and i was watching him before that and when he's even more young this is definitely like gargano is not is might be the weakest person in this match at this point i would say it's weird he his character comes across so well in this match like yeah. gargano is doing i just not more but he's just doing stuff differently than the rest of the guys in the ring but it's more apparent, I think, in the first fray match on Open the Historic Gate, which I went back and rewatched, and Gargano was far and away the best guy in that match. But I wasn't anticipating such strong stories being told here because I was, at first, I was annoyed when I was watching the Young Bucks in this match because I was like, it doesn't make any sense. They're being booked as the tag team of the future, or the tag team of the now, rather. Why are they in this match? It's it's one fall to a finish. Like, are they going to wrestle each other? It was starting to bother me. And then it looks like they're going to wrestle each other, Matt and Nick, and they get cut off. And then it looks like it's going to happen again, and they get cut off. And then finally, the Young Bucks hit more bang for your buck, and Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson end up bickering over who's going to get the pin. And then they have this killer sequence with one another, and that anticipation to the Young Bucks eventually squaring off at first I was annoyed by the idea but they built it up so well and this match ended up telling such a better story than I was expecting that it completely sucked me in I went three and a half stars on this uh even I, I liked the Grand Akuma flash pin but I was I was expecting six guys to do moves I was expecting it to kind of be a lesser version of the Enter the Dragon 2010 four-way but instead, we just have this match that just told a really nice story and was really effective in what it was going for. Yeah, like, you had this match that was 10 minutes long. You got a sense of every person in this match and who they were. Like, Akuma had the most reaction outside of the Bucks individually. Like, you could tell, like, at least in this Philadelphia crowd, he felt like he was going to be a guy. So him advancing made perfect sense. The Bucks face-off when they built up to it was such a big moment. Then you have someone like Hallow Wicked, who is one of those unsung heroes of the indies at that point that where he was appearing this is still in the area of where quack was taking his students everywhere and how wicked was appearing in a lot of places and he gets this opportunity here and then lindsay dorado is interesting because i just think about him and i think about him in chikara at this time where he was starting to get so over pushed like and he was always talented but he was just kind of shoved down the chikara fans throat that they had to turn him heel after that and it was just interesting like seeing him here like this is i'm going to, to look something up that I want to see if, about this with Lince Dorado, but it does feel like that this is something with like Lince Dorado. Like this is something like you brought that like, he would disappear, but it also was the fact that uh, he moved down to Florida soon after this, or like within the next few months or years, I want to say. So it's interesting match. Like it definitely is one of those matches you go back and you watch like, Oh, this definitely was something that could have been a lot of different ways. And, you know, we see the one person who really kind of became the guy out of that, you know? It's an entertaining match. I I was delighted by this. It put me in a good mood and a good headspace to watch the rest of this show. Yeah, so I wanted to check to make sure this was not around the time where he almost broke his neck. That's why I was trying to check with Lince Dorado. So, yeah. Yes. So advancing, the first person that would advance on to the main event was Gran Akuma. The second match, which was called Redemption, as both of these men have suffered losses already in DGUSA. Gabe has to talk about wins and losses mattering. It was BB. But it's so dumb because the two guys <laughs> that have lost that are challenging for the title. Right. Like, yeah. it, I don't, I just don't understand. 
I'm not going to – the whole tournament was, was so convoluted that I can't just nitpick this match because, again, the Young Bucks are – pushed as the tag team of the company yet they're wrestling for a singles title it doesn't make any sense yeah no no like this is this this match i'm glad it happened because it led us to the main event but the match existing annoys me yeah no i mean uh it is if i was going to book the tournament going into this like akuma definitely would have been a part of it uh how wicked i would have played in the tournament just because he had such a great performance in the first match for show but if we're going wins and losses brian kendrick shouldn't have been in this tournament and BB Hulk lost the first match, and he was not on the next show. So, it, and that's not even getting into the next match, but we're going to talk about this one first. BB uh, Hulk beat Brian Kendrick in twelve minutes and thirty three seconds with uh, with the Flash, and it was uh, okay in my mind. Like it just was a match that kind of went long, and it was more important about Hulk getting the win here. Hulk at this time felt like the biggest babyface star in the company already, which foreshadowing makes a lot of sense why they went the way they did like he got the superstar reaction we came out kendrick and uh dg usa now that we have him in his second match and it was another just kind of fine match in my mind yeah since we've last seen brian kendrick he's worked roderick strong in pwg he worked austin Aries and joey ryan at bola and he worked a cwf mid-atlantic match against joey silva so Post WWE, he's working really high profile DG USA matches. He's getting pushed heavily in PWG, but he's not really working the independence at this point. Like you can tell, one, I think, I think it's more present with guys who left the company WWE at, at this point in time just because of the way the locker room operated, because of the culture that existed, that guys would come back to the indies with a little bit of like, this is actually how you work. Like, we have a way of doing it. And, you know, we've seen, you know, even guys like Cody come back to the Indies, and, and that's kind of beat out of them to extent uh, to an extent. We talk about now when guys leave WWE and they go back to the Indies or they go to New Japan, like, they need six or seven big matches to get just that system out of their system. Like, the WWE way of working is just not efficient. It's not really all that engaging outside of their own universe. And we see Kendrick uh, versus Shima, I think with Shima, who can slow it down, who can work a style that's a little more Americanized than BB Hulk. I liked the story that match told here. I, I didn't think Kendrick looked as good. I actually, once again, just like an open the historic gate, I came away going, oh my God, BB Hulk used to be such an incredible worker. There was one point, and I've seen him do this spot a bunch, but I, I hadn't seen him do it in a very long time because he can't do it anymore. But he does, he sends Kendrick off the ropes and then does a somersault into a Hurricane Rana. Yeah. And it's it's just one of those things where it's like, oh my God, like this guy used to be able to move around the ring at such a, a quick pace, but also just, he was electric in everything he did. And it was incredible to watch and more so than anything from these first three shows, you know, being reminded that I, I love dumb jock wrestling is one thing. And there's a number of Dragon Gate things and just the way that the, the way the company operates that I've picked up on and I've really enjoyed from these first three shows. But more than anything, BB Hulk's stock has raised in my mind of really going back. And I, I feel like I need to watch like 2005 to 2010, right before he turns heel BB Hulk. It just consume that more because he's changed so much as a wrestler that it's easy to forget just how electric this guy was at one point. Yeah, and it's now, like, watching this match, he's been four years in his career, 
you see why he was Magnum Tokyo's uh, disciple. You know, like you see like the, the facets of this, that he's like electrifying in a way that Magnum Tokyo could have been electrifying at times. He definitely had the charisma that fit in there. And then like, it's just something that's like really remarkable. Like I remember like very vividly, like we talked about on the episode of Open the Voice Gate about the uh, Kobe, Kobe World 20, uh, 2007 show and talking about that new hazard versus muscle outlaws match and just like how he felt like such a like a dynamic star and then like the huge turn where Shingo turned on him that launched like their generational feud and he is such a remarkable person and he's put in this match here where you don't come out of this match and then the aftermath kind of makes sense but you don't come out of this match with like a big appreciation of Brian Kendrick because he's you know still in that system he's still working his way out of the system this was a of that era you come out of this match really thinking oh god bb hulk is a star and it may, and even more so by the end of the show he felt even more of a star i gave this match three stars certainly Same. not bad but not great mike what the hell happened after the match so here comes another thing about gabe he had a very long promo this is just like the one that happened in uh at at historic gate where it was uh two cold scorpio winning a rematch between yoshino and dragon kid this was a spanky kind of promo, kind of shooting a little bit, talking about the pot taxes in WWE, talking about how he was a superstar, and then everyone was like trying to get the microwave microphone over. Um, it never really came off as really like that he was shooting, and he was kind of like a complete, uh, like unhinged weapon. But then everyone tried to get the microphone away from him. Then John Moxley came out, and John Moxley kind of saved it because he was like talking about how spanky was right and how the two of them are actually like cut from the same cloth and then future shock came out to try to break that up and then future shock got beat down by moxley in it and moxley and kendrick walked to the back very maniacally and very much like patting each other's back as they seemed to form an alliance on the third show of DGUSA. so i could not follow brian kendrick's promo at all terrible promo now i am someone that hates anything abstract i think jazz is a bullshit genre I do not enjoy art films that tell no narrative. So I guess Brian Kendrick was trying to dig into his bag of tricks. I guess he was trying to, uh, you know, be smarter than the smart fan with this promo. I don't know what the fuck he was talking about. And I couldn't. That's the thing is everybody came out to the ring to act like he was shooting and they were trying to take the microphone away from him. But he didn't say anything that necessarily constituted shooting in my opinion like he just said some bullshit and then all of a sudden the locker room empties and then moxley comes out and moxley's promo is far more entertaining just because he says stuff with such conviction and then adam cole and kyle o'reilly come out and they get beat up and they walk to the back <laughs> a massive miss of a segment i think like the kendo two cold scorpio match let's remove that from the equation because it really doesn't even fall into Gate usa canon this feels like the first like, ugh, what was that? It, it's a rare miss on shows that have, for the most part, been dynamite. This did not work at all. Yeah, it just was a really awkward moment. And it was a moment that, you know, the company would get away from it sooner rather than later because what would happen with, uh, uh, with uh, Kendrick's stance in the company. But it definitely felt like, as the big debut of John Moxley in retrospect, it felt very... Uh, contrived but luckily moxley became such a big thing afterwards so i was kind of okay with like oh hey moxley's involved i completely forgot that moxley was a part of something with brian kendrick on the third show 
Oh, what? yeah, I remembered absolutely none of this. And, and <laughs> like we've talked about, these first four shows in particular, like once you get to the first Mania weekend and the Canada shows, like I've I've seen those at this point, but I've only seen them once. But these first four shows, I mean, I had the DVDs of it. I've watched them countless times. I had zero memory of this happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just, again, I said like those are like the four single stars that they were trying to push were Kendrick, Moxley, Richards, and... Uh, akuma it'll be interesting to track them over the next few months in the promotion so that was uh i would say that's a low point but i think the match out of everything i've watched so far that i've been most disappointed in 2020 watching was the next match and i'm wondering what your thoughts about this this was the four-way salute to skyda match as it was jorge rivera also known as skyda mike quackenbush and shima alongside super crazy so we got another ecw arena original and they really pushed the idea that super crazy lost his mask to skyda nearly immediately when breaking in so there was a lot of kind of hatred there i thought this was the weakest match on the show and if anything i remember really loving skyda when i used to see him in chikara and other promotions but this has felt kind of bad okay i liked this match way more than i was expecting i don't think it was a i don't think it was a great match i think it was better than kendrick versus hulk um it's weird. I Skyda probably should not have been put in this environment because going from BB Hulk to Skyda, just in terms of speed and execution, is just not fair. It's just going to expose him to some extent. Now, you're also dealing with Super Crazy, who at this point has been free from WWE for a year. He was released on November 5th, 2008. Weirdly enough, Super Crazy, one of my favorite wrestlers as a child, the Mexicools, Super Crazy and Psychosis, and for a short time Juventud Guerrera. Yes, they came out to the ring on lawnmowers, which is insane in hindsight that they did that. But as a child, one of my favorite acts in wrestling. Since being released from WWE, uh, Super Crazy's mainly been working Mexican independence as well as All Japan Pro Wrestling. He had a match in May of 2009 where he defeated both Matt Cross and Pac for a promotion known as Association Española de Wrestling or AEW, and then he (laughs) lost to Shuji Kondo in the finals of the All Japan Pro Wrestling Junior Heavyweight League. Super crazy is fine in this match. I really like him, but I felt like I, I felt like Super Crazy and Skyda were not the weakest links of this match. And that is specifically because we get a lot of Shima versus Mike Quackenbush interactions in this match. And Shima eats Mike Quackenbush up. And rightfully so. He really because does. Mike, Mike Quackenbush is such a poor man Shima in every single way. Because Quackenbush wants to be the locker room leader. He's the guy that knows all the holds. He can wrestle all the styles. He can wrestle the big names. And Shima is a better version of him when it comes to politics. I'm sure when it comes to backstage speeches, Shima has given better speeches than Quackenbush. I'm sorry, Colt Cabana. I know you love the way Quackenbush talks. I don't. And Shima out-wrestles this man to such an insane degree in this match. I liked the match. I gave it three and a quarter, but oh my god, I could not just take my eyes off of Shima dominating Quackenbush. You see, hearing stories of Shima and knowing how Shima is as a wrestler and Shima doing stuff because he amuses Shima, I definitely think that Quack and both when they're sent this match, he's like, Oh, yeah, wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. And they're going to do some mat wrestling. And it, it was so funny because Shima doesn't do a lot of mat wrestling unless he really wants to. 
So I uh, think we know we know that for a fact. We know that for a fact. <laughs> and the fact that he kind of just ate up Quack is hilarious. Uh, I I guess like I went two and a half, and I just was like depressed. Like and I maybe I couldn't get stuck out ahead of like remembering how much fun Skyda was, and then like realizing, oh wait, this is a guy who's in his fifties and he wasn't moving around so great, like that, and that kind of put a block on me in this match in twenty twenty. But it just was like such a weird Quack match, like Skyda would be around a little bit, but kind of not. And then, like, Squ- Quack and Skyda had their terrible falling out. And then Super Crazy being a part of this was always kind of wild. Like, Super Crazy... Like, the thing that got me was, just, like, how awkward some of the stuff was. With, well, it's, a, it's a weird match where, you know, it's kind of... I, I don't think they ever really fully committed to the idea of doing, like, Yave-style submissions in this match. Although, Shima wins with a very funky pinning hold that I had never seen him do before. Uh, that was um, a Jorge special. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but it's funny because it's like that sort of modified realistic grappling that these, well, I think less so super crazy, but Shima, Quack, and Skyda can all do. But then they're also doing like the four-way dropkick spot where they all <laughs> throw dropkicks at the same time. That like, there's was a wild. Real, a real clash of context in this match that... I was able to look past because in, you know, I joke earlier about Shima eating up Quack, but like, I really enjoyed the Shima performance in this match. I think he is excellent in this four-way. It just so happens he's taking down a guy that I happen to think is very overrated, but like, he is legitimately great in this match. I think he carries it to a degree, but I don't blame anyone that is quite honestly confused at what they're watching because just the structure of this match is so bizarre. Yeah, no, it's just a very odd match. It's very much a match that like Gabe getting into some real Gabe edgelord shit, having this match even happen. So oh, completely. Yeah. Like this is this, but then like this, that's like the thing about this show is this is a show of two halves. So we, we've talked about like the pre-show. We talked about the first three matches after this matches after this match. And there was like this pissiness between quack and Shima post match, which, okay, let, let's get into that. That's that. That's funny. But after that, then we get into like a series of matches that are, all I think very good to excellent, including the match that I still think is like I've talked myself now into thinking it's the match of the, the best match in each USA history up to this point. So it's interesting how I feel like that these are like two halves of a show here. Is this next match the match you think is the best match in DC USA history? No, my, 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 okay, all right. The, I, I mean, I know we're totally aboard jock, dumb jock wrestling 2020 here, but this one was four and a half stars though. Like oh I yeah, love- no. Let, let's be clear. I also gave those four and a half stars. I, I this is Davy Richards versus Yamato. This is the match simply dubbed Next Level. <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. I mean, my God. <laughs> if Generation Now didn't annoy you enough, he had to one up himself with Next Level. But uh, it is. Okay, so, I can't wait till we get the moment where he starts saying everything is a main event in any place in the country in the world. Well, you know, it's really a dream match when you think about it. Davy Richards versus Yamato. It's you know a I, special challenge. Actually, when I put my head down to my pillow, I will dream of this match because it was that <laughs> much fun. Because Davy Richards in 2009, I might need to go seek out the Ring of Honor stuff that he was doing because this was more Davy Richards being dumb jock of the year. It is. more so than the opener this is really the generation now because you look at where these two guys are in their career Davey is fully embedded in the American Wolves at this point he and Eddie Edwards are main eventing Ring of Honor shows as a tag team at this point he is looked at 
thanks to the Brian Danielson promo on the prior show, all of the work Danielson did to put him over on the Ring of Honor shows, all of the work Davey is doing in PWG at this point, Davey is looked at as the next big star on the independents. And Yamato in Japan is being groomed as the next big star in Drangi. We're only a few months away from him ending Naruki Doi's Dreamgate title reign and him holding the Dreamgate reign or the Dreamgate belt rather for the first time. Yeah. As as for this match, you you take the floor. You go. I want to hear your thoughts first. This my first note that I have is something that happened very early in this match where he did this topic on hello where Davy Davy's dives are like my new like my new anti-drug are Davey Richards dies because they're just so fucking ridiculous. Because <laughs> what he does is he does this Tope Con Hello. And it's really only kind of a Tope Con Hello. He kind of just, he doesn't rotate fully. But it clips Yoshi, it clips Yamato. I don't know how he just managed to clip people. He goes right over, he sends Yamato through the barricade into the crowd. And he's so proud of himself, he runs over to the ringside table where the dock and the ring bell is. He jumps up on the table, like flips out, like he's so proud of himself. He commands the ringside doctor to dap him up, and then he proceeds on terribly ringing the ring bell after doing it. And it is so special. It is my dumb jock moment of the show. Mike, you're still underselling this moment. (laughs) So there's a moment before this that needs to be mentioned where Yamato and Davey go to the outside, and Davey whips Yamato into the barricade. The barricade, like... It like unhinges from the barricade it's connected to. And then there's a fan and it looks like it's a grown woman trying to get out of the way. Right. And Yamato was on the barricade. Davey kicks Yamato. Yamato falls into the barricade and the barricade falls onto the woman, which is delightful. (laughs) It is beautiful. And then such a dumb moment. There is this dive and we didn't talk about it. The production on this show is a clear step down from what they did at Historic 8. There's less features. Like, there's a weird thing. After the opening match, they cut to Lenny and Shikarasan, who just introduced the next match. Like, there's no reason for them to be on camera at all. They just threw it in as, like, a transition. I do not understand why they did that. But the arena looks darker there's clearly not, I mean, there's, you know, no thunder sticks, which doesn't help, but there's, the, the atmosphere is not the same as it was for Historic 8 in the hard camera shot they were using. I mean, I guess it would have, it's not like, I mean, it's the arena, like the hard cam's the same for every show, but I felt like the hard cam was like higher and the ring just looked darker and it didn't look as pleasant as it did in the opener. But the fact is, Davey whips Yamato outside, Davey hits the ropes and they cut to the hard cam. As Davey is starting to dive, they cut to the floor cam, and Davey dives so quickly, he has so much velocity on this Tope Suicida that the camera really misses him almost. <laughs> like, he's going so fast that the cameraman can't fully catch up with him. But Mike, I watched this match, and I watched this exact moment at half speed. I slowed things down. I went, I, I took it upon myself to slow things down to confirm what I think to be true is that we talked about in the last Davy match, the Davy Shingo match, how Shingo is just big enough and wide enough that Davy barely caught him. And that is, you know, it was a dive in air quotes, but really Davy was just launching himself into the third row, but he at least made contact with Shingo. My theory on this match is that Davy overshot the target. And if you look at it slowly, Yamato kind of jumps up. 
and meets Davy in the air. I think if Yamato stays planted, Davy just flies into the crowd. There is, I think there is a clear moment if you slow down where Yamato lifts himself himself up to where they clip shoulders, and that is it. And then, as you pointed out, Davy daps up the doctor because that is what cool guys do. He howls like a wolf. And then from there, we proceed to have a really great match. Yeah, no. Uh, thanks for doing going real Jim Garrison on that. I, I had to Zapruder it. I mean, it was <laughs> I went frame by frame. Oh, God. Davy Richards is such a delight. Oh, God. But, you know, this match ruled. Like, it's just like his character is he's just he's the guy who's just too dumb to lose. And he's just like too like Davy Richards is Davy Richards. He's going to come at you and you could catch him if you want to. But he's just going to go completely nuts. And it just was like such a fun match. Like 2009 Yamato, such a sleaze bag at this time. And it just was such a like really sweet moment. And then like they really teased the the back and forth with him until Yamato finally w- hit a really nice snap brain buster. Like you forget how good of a brain buster Yamato has before hitting the gallery to win again four and a half stars. Like this match is just remarkable. Like going back and watching this, like. Davy Richards has the two best singles matches in this promotion to this date. And we'll get to what happens to Davy after that, but it's it's really awesome stuff. There's some small Yamato things in this match that I really, really liked. There's a moment and it's I mean it's minuscule. I mean I I you know I, I could have been looking down at my phone and I would have missed it, but I just happened to be really engaged in this match. There's a moment where Davey has him just like in a very basic hold on the ground. It's in the opening minutes of this match. And it looks like Yamato was just about to reach the ropes just to get a rope break. So things can reset. And right before he grabs the ropes, he transitions and counters Davey's hold and then gains control from there. And it's just a small thing that one puts over the legitimacy of Yamato's ground game at this point, which is, uh, was, you know, the way he was hyped up at this time, which we've talked about on the first two shows of the Yamato we know now was a completely different, different wrestler than the the Yamato of 2009 and then I I, I don't know the dumb jock thing really works in Davey versus Shingo because they're both giving off that energy now I also gave this match four and a half there's a part of me that goes man this match could have been better had Davey had one or two really like key cells that I just don't think he picked up on because Yamato is a little bit more calculated and a little more cerebral with the way he goes about his attack. When Shingo is beating down on you, it's like a video game health bar and your meter is just getting lower and lower and lower. But Yamato really targeted the knee of Davey Richards in this match. And there are times for as much as I genuinely enjoyed some of the no cells Davey had, some of the fire that he showed, some of it that was really, really excellent. There were also times where I wish Davey would have just slowed down for a second and just given that knee a little bit more attention. I think had that happened, this would have been four and three quarters on the same level as Davey versus Shingo, but we're nitpicking a four and a half star match. I mean, at the end of the day, these are two guys that worked their asses off in a weird way. They were in the prime of their careers at this point. I mean, Yamato would go on to have some really great stuff down the road. This is peak Davey. We're in the best time of Davey Richards' career at this point, and he's doing the bulk of his best work in Drangate USA of all places. Yeah, and I think like this is like the start of Davey's peak that probably would be ending after that Elgin match, you know? So like it's interesting because like he's definitely fully realized here and Yamato like 
up until Yamato's heel turn, like true heel turn, because Yamato's still kind of a tweener here. Like he was a member of New Hazard, but then he joined up with Kamikaze when soon after when Shingo left New Hazard, tried to be a tried to be a lone wolf, and then he was really bad in uh, Typhoon, which just was a real awkward fit. And then Kamikaze came soon after that. It is interesting, like how Yamato, in a lot of ways, like the progression of Yamato, especially like from two thousand nine to 2012 when he becomes the almighty Yamato. Is it 2012 2013? I'm thinking off the top of my head. Uh, he turns at the end of 2012. So, so so really 2013. Like this is kind of the peak of where he was at right there. And he's fully realized the MMA stuff that I always bag him on and modern Yamato works really well here. And it works really well like Davey, like as you said, like Davey, if he would put a little bit more care into it, and trying to do this, but it's also Davy Richards. I don't think he was necessarily the thought crosses his mind that he needed to sell the knee a little more. But it was just remarkable stuff, and it was a very special match. And it was a match that, like, it, it came out of it, and we saw something going to the main event that this match completely exhausted Yamato. Like, 20, 21 minutes, by far the longest match out of the first half of the show. And it was just a remarkable match. Like, if you're making a list of stuff you want to watch during this break, this is another match on there. Like it's, it's something remarkable. Yeah. It's, uh, again, it's recommended viewing. I would say the next match, although I like both guys to an extent, uh, one guy, I really like one guy, a real hit or miss the next match. Not exactly a classic. Yep. That next match, which was not on the pay-per-view. This is the first time that they, they had a match on here. That was not on the pay-per-view was jigsaw versus Eddie Kingston. Eddie, uh, jigsaw was, uh, lost in traffic. So he, got dumped from the tournament since that was the opener. And then Eddie Kingston was announced for the show, but they didn't say a match for him. I have a feeling that he probably would have been in uh, some sort of pre-show thing there. And I went through in a quarter. It just was a, a real fun sprint, and they really played off of the back fist. It's weird. I did not like this match at all. And okay. I really like Jigsaw. And Kingston, I just I don't think Jigsaw and Kingston are designed to have that good of a match with one another. Mm-hmm. Um Kingston, man, when he hits, he's special. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Eddie Kingston matches that I don't like, although uh, lately Eddie Kingston has been a great Twitter follow. He's been kind of killing it during the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. His stock has raised for me a little bit. <laughs> I just don't think Jigsaw and Kingston are ever going to have a great match. This one did nothing for me. I think it's, in my opinion, easily skippable. Yeah, yeah, but when you talked about like the weird segments that they had, like we, we skipped over, there was like a segment of everyone preparing for the main event where it was like everyone else, like doing like kicks and punches, which of course the Hulk looks pretty decent. Quack, uh, or, or Akuma looks good. Uh, Shima half-assing it and Yamato splayed out on the floor. Which... Okay. The Shima punches and kicks were wild. He's <laughs> kicking the air and just like, it, it, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's wild. Because it's not like... It's not how you, like, airbox or shadow box No, that's the thing. It wasn't like the form of what he was doing wasn't wrong. It's just not shadow boxing as we know it. Like, it was like Shima doing, like, a lot, like, Yave strikes, but to nobody. It looked totally insane. And then I actually... I liked the shot of Yamato on the floor. It maybe wasn't supposed to be as funny as I thought it was, but it did make sense. Like they had showed it after the Davy match and he had like, it worked. I, there's a lot of stuff like that they did on this show because after the jigsaw Kingston match, they show 
a hype package kind of explaining, you know, the speed muscle versus uh, Dragon Hawk, the Dragon Kid Shingo Takagi team. They show like a hype package of what they had done up to this point. And then they show a video of Yoshino cutting a promo, but he's cutting it in Japanese and there are no subtitles. And then like Dragon Kid breaks into the locker room and then Shingo's there and then they like get into a pull apart and then we cut to the ring and they're going to wrestle. But like, that didn't work at all for me. Like, I don't understand why that was there. It felt so unnecessary, especially given the fact that they had just done a video package for those guys. But yeah, the, the four way vignette, <laughs> it's probably not supposed to be as funny as it was, but I genuinely liked what they were going for there. It just was wild. And they, they made a big point of that dragon kid would be getting the first title shot coming out of this, but they had to have this match, which I thought was kind of interesting. I ever got that. Like, like yeah, they, I, I did not realize that that had been booked this far ahead of time. Right, yeah. So this was there, like, the, the promo, like, it it was just really kind of weird and awkward. But the tag match that came after that, Speed Muscle versus uh, Pumping uh, or Dragonhawk, God, this was my favorite match in this promotion so far. It's four and three quarters. It is, I, I don't know. People have different mileage on Dragon Gate tag matches. For me, when they hit, it is my favorite style of match. And this is an upper tier Dragon Gate tag match of, you know, in the pantheon of Dragon Gate tag matches, there's a lot of four and three quarters, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's not that many. I mean, it's a style that I enjoy. I tend to, when I go that high with a rating, I throw it out to this kind of match. And this is one in rare air at just how good it was. Yeah, and it's something that it's been nice over the last three years to see Doyoshi back together. But when this is like prime Doyoshi, like this is like right after they won the Twin Gates, they uh, they founded the Twin Gate titles actually, and they were still like this like big unit. Like that was just one of the most remarkable tag teams in the world. Takagi and uh, Kid were not a tag team that I remembered too much of and i don't necessarily remember super fondly like i remember that they were a thing but you always would talk about like shingo and yamato at this time right and then like dragon kid was a part of kamikaze but he was just kind of a part of it in a weird way and was doing a lot of stuff with like tozawa and awasa so seeing like these guys together this is a 19 minutes and 56 seconds match i do have dave Meltzer's review here and i kind of want to quote from this because it has some some comments I think are kind of remarkable to look back on 11 years from now. So, you ready for this? Yes. Uh, he says, uh, Masa- uh, Speed Muscle won this match with the Sol Naciente. Just, just getting that out there. Uh, this match was even more spectacular than the previous match. The one thing that's amazing is, is that these guys actually work more dates than any wrestlers in the business and somehow are able to have this match. They are small, so that helps. And probably a lot of them are going to be messed up physically at age 35. In a sense, it would be better if they slowed down, but because they're still these faster, uh, fantastic workers always racing. All the near falls, all kinds of near falls and cribble moves, especially in the match. The finish saw uh, Yoshino submit, make Dragon Kid submit to an offshoot of the armbar. He doesn't notice it's still Naciente. And this became a big thing that Dragon Kid would be getting the title match, so doing his, doing the job, would be a surprise four and a half stars. So, thinking that they'd be messed up physically at 35... Most of these guys at this time, Shingo by far is the youngest one there. Were any of them messed up at 35? Not at 35, no. But, I mean, this is something that Dave has always worried about. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, he he said it with the New Japan guys for years. And it's just, I, you know, it's just one of those things that 
uh, for whatever reason, he is more hyper focused on it than you know somebody like me is. Right. Yeah, I just find it so remarkable that Dave's Dragon Gate coverage is always so hit and miss, and I felt like that was interesting that he said that there. But real s- special match. Like my favorite part of this match was the uh, big control segment that Doyoshi had on Dragon Kid. I thought it was remarkable, just like the focus on it, and it, it kind of became the overall story of the match was. If Shingo got in there, he'd be able to really put it to the two and break up and get uh, Dragon Kid have some s- sort of respite. But Speed Muscle being on such a clear next level was able to prevent that. And they were understanding the rules of Dragon Gate tag matches to such a high level that whenever it seemed like there was a moment that you could have uh, a uh, kamikaze tag in, it did not happen whatsoever. And I thought that. And then the closing stretch is something special. I think this is one of Doyoshi's best matches they ever had as a tag. It's funny to me that you don't have super strong memories of the Dragon Kid Shingo team because this is, their run is very short-lived. They hold the Triangle Gate belts with Taku Iwasa at one point earlier in the year. But, and maybe it's just formative viewing for me because it was some of the first Dragon Gate stuff that I saw, but they teamed together in the Summer Adventure Tag League in 2008, and they wrestle on the No Ring Show against B.B. Hulk and Aoki Tanizaki, which is a thrilling match. It's maybe the best match on what is an amazing show. And then they wrestle Speed Muscle in the finals of that tournament in Corken Hall, which is another match-of-the-year contender high-level match. So although their time spent together was brief, I think super highly of the Shingo Dragon Kid team, and then watching this match, Masato Yoshino is so explosive, and everything he does. There, there's one moment actually in this match where they don't totally nail what they're going for, and they're trying to do uh, the spot where Yoshino has Takagi in From Jungle, and then Dragon Kid has Doi and the Cristo, which are two like kind of convoluted. Um, stretch submissions i can't uh like abdominal stretch submissions but right. done in a dragon gate way and they're going to like slap each other which is a spot that they've done in japan before where they're both applying these submissions and then they're getting to, into a slap fight it always gets a crazy reaction it's a great looking spot and they go for that there and somebody's knee gives out and like they don't totally nail that spot but other than that one blemish which doesn't detract from the match at all, i just noticed that they didn't really like nail that the way they wanted to yoshino is so crisp in this match. It is unbelievable because we know Yoshino now. I mean, post-prime Yoshino, you know, 2015, 2013, really even on, like he still has top-of-the-line level matches. I mean, we've seen him just crush it when he gets the opportunity to. But you forget, and, you know, part of it is watching, uh, for me, I rewatched the Super Card of Honor, the 331-06 match earlier this week, but, like, you forget just the way he used to fly around the ring. There has really never been a wrestler quite like Masato Yoshino. Yeah, and I think the, the big thing for me is his, like, he's still billed as the fastest wrestler in the world, but it's remarkable, like, and maybe it is that over the last 11 years, he, or really last 14 years, if we want to talk about the Supercard of Honor show, he has slowly kind of slowed down a little bit by little bit by little bit until finally he is what he is now. He's still fast wrestler, still one of the fastest wrestlers, but he's still, like when you watch 2009, where he is literally the fastest wrestler I've ever seen in my life. And it's remarkable like how precision point he was. I, I, I will give you some Mike Spears lore here. 
the last time I really got into e-wrestling, I did a character that was based off of Masato Yoshino's moveset. Just because, like, the idea of how precise he was and how he was, like, a precision point offense. And I thought it was so remarkable. Like, when I first saw him, like, he completely changed my mind about pro wrestling in that regard. And him and him and, and Naruki Tana, uh, I always call uh, Naruki Doi, I was almost called him Tanizaki like I did last show. But <laughs> the two of them had, like, such unique teamwork that, like, you see it now and you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's speed muscle. Let's finish speed muscle. But when you see it, in their prime and this is still their prime until the big turn you like see them do like the uh, like the bulldog move that they use where naruki doi kind of lifts them up in a waist lock a lot like how he would hit the uh, muscular bomb and then you have you you have yoshino just bouncing off the ropes of as he can and doing a bulldog and the way that they kind of get up and just kind of it's not like a taunt but it's more of like we just did that and it's always like one of the more remarkable things. One of the things I really love this tag team is just like the inner confidence that they showed here is you don't see a lot of tag teams that have ever shown like that kind of thing when they do like their double team moves like this team did. When you were e-wrestling, were you role-playing as a wrestler or role-playing as the booker? I was doing my own characters and it wasn't like that I role-played as Masato Yoshino. I role-played as a wrestler that bases moveset on it was an original wrestler that was based okay, on that. All right. I, I've that also was, done e. I've also done like booking too. So. Yeah, that was the the creating a wrestler was something that I I never really got into. Whereas there was a definitive point in my life where I was devoting so much time and energy into e-booking and creating my own federation. And you're thinking, well, Case was probably what twelve or thirteen when he was doing that. I was sixteen or seventeen when most people are kissing and having uh just the time of their lives uh living wild young fast and free i was dialing up web archive and reading old gabe sapolsky roh newswires to (laughs) figure out how the master uh manipulated his puppets so just something to think about as we go ahead in the future there are a few more moments in this match i do want to talk about one there's a real kind of super card, like in in a legitimate sense, we made fun of it earlier, but there is like a special challenge dream match feel to this match. Because when you think about the history of Dragon Gate in America up to this point, other than Shima, these are probably the four guys that you're going to think of most. I mean, these are four main eventers because you've got Yoshino, Doi, and Dragon Kid, who were all, one, established on the DGUSA shows, had also worked in PWG up to this point, and were in the 331-06 match. And then you've got Shingo Takagi, who was super over in America, partially due to his Ring of Honor excursion, but also just what he's done in this company. So you've got four top-of-the-line main eventers in this match. On top of that, it's Dragon Kid, who's 2-0, and and his partner Shingo, who's 0-2. And, and it's Naruki Doi, who's 2-0, and, and his partner Masato Yoshino, who's 0-2. It's It feels like a dream match, but this was a very important match in the promotion given the landscape of the booking at the time, which I really enjoyed. And then my final point, and then you can circle back and touch on any of those that you want, but there's a moment towards the end of this match where Doi 
is lighting up Shingo with chomps. He's going back and forth, back and forth. Shingo hulks up, hits him with just that mean Shingo right hand that no other guy in the business can throw a punch like he does. Doi kind of shoulder blocks him, goes off the ropes. It look like it looks like he wants to hit maybe a Bakatari sliding kick, do a big like high energy move, and Shingo lariats him into oblivion. And that moment right there is the sort of intensity and the sort of feel that only Dragon Gate can muster. There are a lot of companies in this in this professional wrestling industry that can have really intense matches, that can have big moments that stand out. But when we are talking about the passion that is on display, the energy that is on display, and the execution that is on display, that moment stuck out to me as like, wow, that is what Dragon Gate brings to the table that no other company can do. Yeah, it is remarkable. Like, it's just something unique onto itself and this is out of everything i've seen so far in this rewatch definitely my match of dg usa to this point uh, after the match young bucks came out to challenge speed muscle and they looked like they were going to do it in chicago we'll get into next show what what kind of broke down from there but yeah this was definitely a big moment and then we had another john moxley promo that was really solid as well it's uh, so the Young Bucks promo, it's not as good as the one they cut after the Shima and Susumu match. The Shima and Susumu promo, they feel like they are confident and like they believe every word that they're saying. This Young Bucks promo came across as kind of a parody of a Young Bucks promo to me, like Nick Jackson. And he's, you know, he's like 20 years old at the time. I don't blame him, but he in particular just came across as like squirrely in this, like whatever he was doing, it just wasn't working for me. Um, I think, and spoiler alert, we never get to figure out, I think they were teasing this match for WrestleMania weekend. Okay, that made sense. Because at this point, the Young Bucks are announced. We know, at least I'm pretty sure Doi and Yoshina were there. I'm pretty sure. Um, I know Doi was. Um, but this, to me, I b- believe, and I, I've heard this at some point, and I, I will look for it as we build up to these shows, but I think Young Bucks versus Speed Muscle was supposed to headline one of the first or, or one of the Phoenix WrestleMania weekend shows because they wrestle each other, but it's not in a straight two on two tag of the Chicago show. And I think that was supposed to be building up to their two versus two tag that, you know, never ends up happening. And then as for the Moxley promo, it's very edge Lord John Moxley, but it works because I believe every word he's saying. Right. Yeah. It's one of those things that is, like we're starting to see like the rise and why as you mentioned earlier gabe got that short promo at the jeff pearson cup and was like i need to have this guy immediately it, it completely makes sense i at this point and again you know he hasn't wrestled anything other than a b-boy dark match at this point but you know he's got an in-ring segment with kendrick where he looks dominant then he's got this promo and you come away from the show going okay wait who are the guys it's davy and it's akuma and it's the young bucks and it's John Moxley and I haven't even seen him wrestle like in one show they really elevate him to that top tier level and you can tell just and I don't think it's a bad thing but you can just tell by the way Gabe books like he is going to be important and and Gabe's not necessarily subtle about those things but I also don't necessarily think he has to be so it's enjoyable to watch Moxley do what he does on this show yeah yeah and that leads us into the main event where we decide our first open the freedom gate championship so before we get into this what are your thoughts of the Freedom Gate as both a title belt and Gabe kind of just taking the DG like lineage and how they do things about open the blank gate and making his title the Freedom Gate? I'm okay with that. Yeah. I I think it would have been weird had it been the Dragon Gate USA 
you know, I, I was going to say wired, but that's a CZW title. Had it just been, you know, the whatever title, it, it would have come across as inauthentic. I mean, at this point, they are still promoting a product that is a legitimate American offshoot of the Drangate promotion. It would have been weird had they not labeled it as such. It was something that I my memory might be wrong. And just uh, peel back curtain a little bit. We have been going now combined for close to three hours so my memory isn't necessarily as sharp as it was when we began but i remember there being some a little bit of like oh okay gabe towards this i thought the belt itself was a really attractive looking belt i thought oh the, the belt looked awesome and i you know we talked about this when the recent Dreamgate title got unveiled and you asked me my opinions on it i was like eh, yeah it's a title belt who really cares the freedom gate belt looks awesome yeah it, it made sense the logo looked great there and especially when you compare it to the united gate it was it felt like it was at a time where I mean, they were still having the Bronze V1 title for the Open the Dream Gate. Uh, it was the original really bad blue Twin Gate titles. Remember those as well? Yeah, not a fan of those. Yeah, but like this was like this. So the match itself, this was a four-way elimination match. So there'd be three falls where the winners of the matches previous on the show would go up against each other. We had Gran Akuma, BB Hulk, Shima, and Yamato in this match. The eliminations were Shima, Akuma, then Yamato. And BB Hulk is your first Open the Freedom Gate champion. And a match that I liked a lot more watching this time than I did originally. The big thing for me going into this match was I could not remember the order of the eliminations. And that was what I was really focusing on because I knew the winner of this match just because I just know the promotion. I know what's coming next. But I I wasn't even really positive going into the show that Akuma was the one that won. And then Akuma won the opener and I was like, okay, well... I guess it's not Quack in the main event at Shima, and then I know Hulk is there. Obviously, Hulk is the one that wins it. But I actually I thought Davy was in this match because I didn't look at the card going into this. So when Yamato won against Davy, I was I was shocked, and then I was like, well, shit, what what happens in the main event? Because I thought Hulk went over Davy, but instead Hulk goes over Yamato, and it's this this interesting sequence where Shima gets low blowed and rolled up, and then it it becomes a prolonged bb hulk versus kamikaze the the incarnation of kamikaze usa although they weren't labeled that at the time of yamato and akuma and they put the boots to hulk and then he has a big comeback uh sort of run that i think looks really good uh hulk ends up eliminating akuma great baby face fire from hulk and then he pins yamato with what i believe was the evo right and did that finish feel a little flat to you it felt a little flat because it was right after he did a Phoenix Splash that looked amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, they, I, it, that's exactly it. They either should have called it after the Phoenix Splash, or there was more left in the tank. Like I just wasn't prepared for that to be the finish. It didn't right. feel like the climax of the match, and it was. It probably knocked it down a quarter. Sorry, it ended up at three and three quarters for this. It's a match I really like, much like the opening six way. I think it's a, a multi-man match that quite honestly told a really good story, but the finished, it, it didn't leave a bad taste in my mouth, but it was off-putting in a way. I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that was it. Oh, shit, Hulk won. Okay, that's good. But it was not what I was exactly anticipating. Yeah, I, I think that's like the way to put it. Like I, I remember being like really underwhelmed when I watched this in 2010 when it came out on DVD. It just was one of those matches that when you like it was 11 minutes it was something where like hulk it seemed like it was going to be that final stretch right like they were doing elbows and knees and it looked like that they were about to go to the next point and then he had the evo and the win and 
it was one of those things that I liked. I really came out of these first three shows going like, oh, Akuma really felt like he could have been like the future star out of this promotion. Like he was put into this match. He was involved in the pinfall against Shima. Like that that was a big thing there. And I mean, he lost to the guy that was going to be the next the the next champion, be the first open the Dreamgate champion. And he held his own in a match with the future Dreamgate champion. So like that was one of those things that I was like, yeah, okay, this made a lot of sense there. Uh, Shima didn't really do much in this match to be quite honest. And then the next like six to seven minutes where it was two on one and then leading to the final stretch were really were strong with strong work. And I remember like at the time watching watching this, this was way before I started star rating. I was like, eh, I didn't like it at all. But this one I went three and a half stars on. I thought this was a really suitable like main event. And afterwards, it felt like Hulk was a star. Like, this definitely was, he was the most popular person outside of Davey in this promotion at this point. The carry job that he had for Kendrick earlier in the night really, I think, elevated Hulk in a way that even a great match wouldn't have done. Like, we got an individual performance from BB Hulk that really made him shine. And then he comes into this match and nails it. Uh, And it's... Just again, like I said earlier, you know, BB Hulk's stock has been raised so much going through these first shows because I forgot what an incredible wrestler he was at one point. Yeah, he he was remarkable. And they quickly kind of at after the match he had like a little moment BB story was playing, which I remembered how much of a bop the original BB story great, was. Great, great entrance music. And again, like I'm weird. Title belts don't mean a ton, mean a ton to me, and entrance music I, I don't gravitate towards it. Love the original BB Hulk theme song. Yeah, yeah, no, it fit him so well, but after the match, then we had a bunch of post-match stuff, as then Davey Richards came in and attacked, Yamato attacked as well, and Dragon Kid came for the save, what I have down in my notes, which is really funny, Quackenbush was on commentary, he replaces Chikarsen halfway through, and he flips out, and I thought that okay. was hilarious. I'm glad you mentioned that, I meant to bring this up in the the tag match with Speed Muscle, Quackenbush takes over on commentary. I don't know why. And I, and I, I was picking on him earlier, which is whatever. I actively dislike Quackenbush on commentary. He's talking over Lenny. Like Quackenbush becomes the play-by-play guy, which doesn't make any sense when Lenny Leonard is next to you. Let Lenny do the talking and have Quack do some pseudo intellectual stuff on what the submission holds are hurting. Like I, I, actively disliked him in the booth although i do think it was super funny that when hulk is getting beat down uh quack like acts like he's gonna go make the save and lenny goes quack and bush you can't if you leave from the booth and hit the ring you will be fired <laughs> it's like <laughs> why wait a minute what sort of logic is that but i appreciate that they at least like had reasoning for it the reason just made no sense <laughs> that is just uh i mean and the thing was, like, during the tag match, like, Quack brought up, like, good moments about Torimon 2000 Project. Like, he was versed in the stuff that made sense to have him out there, but he just, like, interjects too much and when he really should have just been the pure color, like, analyst person. When Davey Richards comes out and cuts the promo after the match, I am genuinely so excited. <laughs> and Davey takes the microphone and he... Davy Richards clutches a microphone like no other person I've ever seen before. Like the way he grabs a microphone is actually wrong, but nobody's ever told him. But he goes, <laughs> you know, there's two ways to send a message to a champion. You can make a challenge 
or and then he does what again I think is a legitimately awesome move. He does his spinning back kick. He loves that, that kick. Out. It, but it looks great. He should use it all the time. Like that is like the way he should turn heel, the way he should turn face. Whatever Davy needs to make an emotion happen, he just needs to throw the spinning back kick because it looked awesome. Did he and do then it to Danielson? Down, he does it to Danielson too. That's you know you know I don't need your approval. Bam, spinning back kick, and it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. It is something with Davey that, sadly, we, we, we have another show of Davey on it before things go south, but he is such a remarkable person in 2009. And knowing the the trials and the tribulations of Davey Richards are something really unique because I did look this up. He was doing tours of Dragon Gate. Oh, yeah. I am going to send you a match that we might be watching before the next episode. because oh, I, I think we have to. This is Davey leaves from this show and goes and does a tour of Dragon Gate, which I don't I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up because I don't entirely know the story as to one, why he was working it or why he only was there for two weeks because he he gets there on December 2nd and then leaves on December 13th. And I I don't know if that was the plan. Knowing Davey, it might not have been. But he works Naoki Tanazaki and Corken Hall, which is a match I have still not seen. And then he works Mochizuki for the FIP World Heavyweight Championship, mind you, in uh, Hikado. And then he goes home a few days later. Yeah, that is something because that's before Final Gate. But then again, that Final Gate was the uh, big... Uh, the, deep drunkers on top of the arena drinking beers at the end of the show so i could see why he was not at that show but it's just kind of remarkable thinking about this two two week tour because i completely forgot about this two week tour until doing this so yeah i davy richards man <laughs> like that's I, that's all i can say unbelievably entertaining i have been so delighted at his presence on these shows he's just something like about him and especially in today's day and age and like what we're all going through right now seeing him in these matches and seeing him just be living his truth you know he lives his truth to such a degree and it's something that i think is really remarkable so the match that he missed out on was a final gate but before we go i want to run down this card for you because i don't know how much you remember this show it is a wild show in retrospect i know none of the final gate 2009 card off the top of my head all right dark match Tozawa defeats Kenichiro Rai. That sounds awesome. Uh, Six-man tag, Katoka, Shisa Boy, and Super Shisa versus Anthony W. Mori, Kagatora, and Mentai Kid. Okay. Singles match, Takashi Okamura defeats Stalker Chikawa. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Singles match, so- Takashi Okamura defeats Stalker Chikawa. Okay, this is good stuff. Yeah, Bravegate, Naoki Tanizaki defeats KZ. Okay, I don't think I've ever seen that. Singles match, Takuya Sugawara defeats Naruki Doi. I have seen that. I do hate that match. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Non-title, by the way. Non-title matches. Uh, open the triangle gate. Zetarins, Akibono, Don Fuji, and Masaki Mochizuki defeat Real Hazard, Ginky Horikijuchi, and Yuzushi Kanda with Nasawa Rongai. At this point, Real Hazard is really annoying me at this time in the promotion, and it's Aki Bono, so I can't imagine that's good. Open the Twin Gate. Uh, Osaka Zenroke defeat uh, Kamikaze of Shingo, Takagi, and Yamato to win the Twin Gate titles. And who was the other team? Uh, Shima Gamma, Osaka Zenroke. Oh, that's probably good. Yeah. 
and then the uh, first i think this was the first one again this is late uh but it is one of the it is the dead or alive cage match but it was happening at final gate where bb hulk dragon kid kness masada and susumu yokosuka defeat masato yoshino okay i have i've seen that match but oh my goodness i would not have been able to guess that with a gun to my head Wild. so where would did this show happen before or after christmas uh, this happened on the 27th this was after okay. christmas they had okay, a so maybe... show on christmas day okay so maybe that was the plan because i can imagine and rightfully so there's not a knock on him but i can imagine davy wanting to be home on christmas well but I mean, I... Like, like pack never stayed for final gate so i mean it makes sense yeah but they made swan stay once um yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, now we've got to look to see if Davey was originally booked on that or not. Because, again, the tour was so awkward. Right. And just Davey being Davey, I just don't feel like a two-week tour was the plan, but I don't know that for sure. So we'll get into that on the next episode. Yeah, we'll get into that on the next episode. But, yeah, so Open the Freedom Gate. We have a Open the Freedom Gate champion. It is BB Hulk, and we closed 2009 in Dragon Gate USA. So these three shows, they some of them exceed my expectations, and then some of them – were as good as I remember them being. It has been a delightful run of shows so far. I there's you know there's no point. We'll do when we hit the end of 2010. We'll do maybe an extended year in awards and include these 2009 shows. But the at the end of the day, the first three Dragon Gate USA shows are essential viewing all the way through. If you have not seen these shows and you are interested in the current Japanese product, you need to go back and see what the first three DG, DGUSA shows were all about. Because as I mentioned when we talked about the Open the Freedom Gate title, at this point they are still promoting and following through on an authentic American counterpart to the Japanese promotion. Absolutely. And it felt like BB Hulk getting this title at this time felt like a big thing. Like, BB Hulk was someone that was always seen as, like, a tier below. And, like, he was so fresh in his career that, like, Really, Naruki Doi and Shingo Takagi were the ones in the the big six who took that first step forward, and then you really had everyone else trying to chase and catch up. But like this was like the step forward for BB Hulk here. Yeah, it's uh, it's really strong. Yep, and I think that's gonna do it for this episode. Do we want to run down the card for what would end up being the next uh, DG USA show before we go? Indeed, we do. This is Dragon Gate USA Fearless. We are no longer opening gates. We are instead fearless as we head into 2010. This is from the Congress Theater in Chicago, Illinois, which was also the home of Open the Untouchable Gate. The card, real quick, not including the dark matches, just the main card. We get the debut of TJP as he wrestles Gran Akuma. We get Shima and Super Crazy versus Jigsaw and Mike Quackenbush. Brian Kendrick with Lacey versus Jimmy Jacobs, an FIP World Heavyweight title match between Masaki Mochizuki and Davey Richards, a three-way tag team elimination match with a Young Bucks, World One of Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi, and Shingo and Yamato, and finally, the first defense of the Open the Freedom Gate Championship, we get BB Hulk defending the gold against Dragon Kid. It is a remarkable show, like just looking at this. There's only like really one match that I'm dreading, and you could probably take a guess of which that is. I it, I it's I'm assuming it's the Kendrick Jimmy Jacobs match, but I have no memory of that match happening, so I'm curious about it now. Neither do I, and that's why I'm dreading it. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but y'all, that's gonna do it for this episode of Open the Voice Gate. Rewind and rewatch episode three. We'll be back soon with the episode about 
the fourth show of Dragon Gate USA Fearless. But that'll do it for us here. Uh, Case, anything you want to hit on before we go? Real quick, I plugged it on the last episode we did where we covered the Empty Arena show that Dragon Gate put on and a bit of a brief history through Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival. I'll plug it one more time, then I'll shut up about it. But Mike Spears was on my other podcast last week, uh, the Art School Albums podcast, where every week we attempt to curate the Ultimate Art School Albums playlist, or I guess the art, the Ultimate Art School playlist, rather. Mike Spears and I talked about American Football, the first album. If you love emo music or if you just love the way Mike and I banter with one another, you will love this episode of the podcast. That is the Art School Albums podcast, with you, which you can check out on your podcast platform of choice. You'll get more Mike Spears lore there. We don't talk about e-wrestling, but we talk about a lot of stuff there. It was an absolute blast. So the podcast account, as always, is at OpenVoiceGate. And my personal account is at Fujiheya. That's with two eyes like Don Fuji. But that's going to do it. Again, this has been an absolute blast as a series, and I'm excited to go on further with this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. All right. So for Case, I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.